This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. The following is a sponsored program. Zoomer Radio and MZ Media Incorporated do not endorse any of the statements or opinions made by the contributors. We need to create some separation and some togetherness. Trying to find times where you have that privacy in the house, even if it's like, you know, having a different desk away from each other, a different, you know, this is my side of the couch, this is my place where I want to do my thing, this is where I like to eat, whatever it happens to be, and at the same time, having time together. Welcome to The Tonic. I'm your host, Jamie Busson, and we're here to talk about your health and wellness. Today, we'll bust immunity myths. We'll discuss relationships under lockdown. We'll learn how food can help you deal with stress. And lastly, we'll hear about dental care during COVID-19. But first, a little bit of business. Omega Alpha is 100% Canadian-owned and has been GMP-certified for manufacturing to pharmaceutical standards since its inception in 1992. It uses only all-natural herbs, vitamins, and minerals in their formulations. The company is site-licensed for manufacturing nutraceuticals by the Natural Health Products Directorate, a division of Health Canada. They have four company divisions, both a consumer line and professional line of human products, equine pet health products, and a custom manufacturing private label division. Omega Alpha uses only the highest quality ingredients to manufacture the most efficacious yet price-friendly nutraceuticals. For more information about Omega Alpha, visit their website at omegaalphainc.com. Omega Alpha's products are created by their scientific team headed by their owner, operator, and CEO, Dr. Gordon Chang. Dr. Chang holds a PhD in physiology and biomedical engineering from the University of Toronto. He also has two years postdoctoral experience in clinical biochemistry, looking at free radicals and antioxidants. He's published over 20 peer-reviewed articles and conference proceedings, and he's a regular on this show. Welcome back, sir. How are you? Very good, Jamie. Trying to stay healthy like everybody else, trying to listen to the message. Yeah, and you know, it's difficult now. Because there's a lot of messages out there, right? I mean, everybody's so narrowly focused. We're all looking at the same things. We're looking at, you know, news reports on how the virus is spreading and what's happening. And and then there's a lot of information out there for people who are trying to help matters. And I guess one of the things that maybe we should discuss is whether or not if somebody says there's a cure or supplement available for COVID-19, whether they should be taken seriously. Well, the first thing I will say out there There is no known proven cures for COVID-19. None. Okay? And I use the word proven, right? Now, there are people who will say, oh, I have a treatment or they have a treatment. I take that with a grain of salt because none of it has really gone through the rigorous scientific testing to prove it, right? However, after having said that, there are things that we can do for the spread of COVID-19, things that you can do for yourself. And one of the first things I always suggest to people to do is boost your immune system. Okay, but right. can, you, can you really do that? Yes. I know you and I were discussing this. You know, there are people that say you can and people that say you can't. You're of the view that you can, right? Yeah, I definitely believe you can. I, I, I know a lot of people say you can't boost your immune system, but then I say to them, look, every time we take a vaccine, what have we done? 
we've really boosted the immune system because what you've done is you told the immune system, hey, start pumping out this particular antibody, which specifically targets this particular virus, right? So you have basically boosted the immune system every time you do a, a vaccine. But I need to explain what do we actually mean when we say boost the immune system. Yeah. Because the immune system, a lot of people think it's just one thing. The immune system is a myriad of different things that happen, okay? A part of the immune system, there's something called the white blood cell, right? Now, your white blood cell is a generalist and specialist. There's several different types of white blood cells. You have something called the natural killer cells. These are the white blood cells. These are like your regular soldiers that walk around and patrol. One of the things that we do know when you boost the immune system, and this has been shown in many different types of um, lab studies, etc., that one of the things that you, when you boost the immune system, you basically make these white killer cells much more active. So the idea then would be like, um, the analogy I'll use is that you have somebody, a soldier, uh, when it's not times of war, what do you do with your soldiers? You keep them in the barracks, they play tiddlywinks, etc., keeping <laughs> themselves busy. Yeah, right? probably poker, but yeah. Okay. That's right. In times of war, what do you do? You put them out on patrol. They go, they patrol the boundaries, etc., etc., etc. And that's basically what you do when you're boosting immune system. You make them more active, right? Okay. And if they're more active, they're more vigilant. And if they're more vigilant, they'll catch the enemy soldiers before they actually get a chance to infiltrate. So that's one of the things when you boost your immune system. That's the analogy I'll use, mm-hmm. okay? You make them more active, right? Second thing that you boost the immune system is that you bring out more white blood cells, Okay. Now, there's only so many more white blood cells you can bring out because the body can only produce so much more, right? But even a small increase makes a big difference. So it's like during war again, you conscript more soldiers. So you, have more, you put more men in the field, right? But again, number of men in the field or women in the field that you can bring out is limited by your population. If you have a small population, you know, like if you only have a million people in your population, you can only have so many adults. So you can only have so many more soldiers. If you have 100 million people, you can feel more soldiers. Right. So it's the same idea. You can only feel so many soldiers extra. But that's one of the things that you do when you boost your immune system. Well, right? you increase the number of, of white blood cells? Is that you, you can increase the total number of white blood cells. Okay. okay. Uh, but there's a limit to how much white blood cells you can increase too. Okay. Mm-hmm. A third thing that you do when you boost your immune systems, the white blood cells also produce antibodies, and they're called they're like non-specific antibodies, right? Mm-hmm. And what these non-specific antibodies do is that they will float around. They're like these non-specific antibodies will attach to say bad soldiers or the enemy soldiers, which is in this case you could be a virus, it could be your bacteria, bacteria, etc. So it attaches itself to it, and then what happens is that it's like a beacon. Then when the regular white cells see, it, hey, that a bad guy, so we need to attack this bad guy, right? Mm-hmm. So this, this is a way of lighting up the, the, the bad guys, right? So it makes the, the soldier cells a lot more easy to spot and a lot easier to destroy, okay? Mm-hmm. Now, we talk about, those are some of the things that the white blood cells do. One of the white blood cells also do is like, like after you've had, a, uh, for example, let's say chickenpox, okay? Mm-hmm. Yep. One of the things is that you've recovered. So what happens is the white blood cells have a memory that they say, ah, we've had chickenpox before. So we know the chickenpox virus, right? And they have that memory. And sometimes the memory lasts a lifetime. 
So they always have a few, I call them specialist cells, that they, they tuck away in a corner somewhere. And so as soon as they see a, a new chickenpox um, virus come in, the first thing they say, ah, I remember this guy. So they, they start, they take over the, the body's machinery and start pumping out these specialist soldiers. Right. So that's how a vaccine will work. Yeah, I was just going to say that's the theory behind a vaccine. Right. The, the, that's, yeah, that's basically the idea of how a vaccine will work. Right. But the idea is that because and the reason I bring this up is because we talk about people ask if you've had, say, uh, COVID-19 or something and you recover, will you get it again? In general, if it's the same version of COVID, the answer is probably not. And I use the word probably not. Right. right? But. It could be like the influenza virus. If you get a new version of the influenza virus because it's mutated, right, mm-hmm. it has the ability to slip past these specialist cells and start a new infection. But there are certain components of the body that has, will recognize it, so it probably lessens the effect of the mutated um virus. So uh, drawing an analogy to the vaccines that are available for influenza, what the makers are trying to do is estimate, you know, where the mutations are going and put together sort of a benign uh, vaccine that will most protect the population. And some years they get it better than others. Some That's years- right. And even in the years when people say they're hitting blanks, yeah. it's still better than nothing because they all because the virus itself cannot mutate 100% so that it's a completely different virus altogether, meaning that the, the DNA sequence does not change 100%. So there's always remnants of some parts of the um, original virus. And if you have a antibody or a vaccine that targets some parts of the old virus, it will always be recognized, right? It may not be yeah. 100% of it, but it will be better than nothing. Right. Right? So this is why I am a proponent of vaccination, okay? Yep. I know a lot of people in our industry is, are not proponents of vaccination. My two cents has always been the cost-benefit analysis, okay? Yep. If I am older and I get vaccinated, and I know they debunked all the vaccination issues, right, about autism, etc. but I'll say this. I am pushing 60. I'm 60 this year, so you know what? For me getting autism, that ship has sailed a long time ago, <laughs> right? right? Yeah. So I, there's no reason why an adult should not be vaccinated. And there's no time between autism and vaccination. But, you know, but I'm saying even if I'm wrong, yeah. okay, yeah. there is no reason why you shouldn't get vaccinated because that for autism is gone, right? Anyway, but I... I no, no, I, I'm 100% with you. And, and I really, I'm not a proponent of the anti-vaxxer movement and yeah. I, I don't have much patience for it. So, yeah. yeah. All right. But I, I, I digress here. Yeah. But yep. um, I was going to say, um, getting back to the original thing about how the immune system works also, yep. right? So we, we talked about the antibody. One of the things that the immune system also does is when the white blood cells come into play, when viral particles attack the body, right? It doesn't attack just by coming in because they can't reproduce. So what they do, they have to penetrate the cells. Yes. Okay? And when they penetrate the cells, they usually attack, in the case of the COVID or any type of um, respiratory tract viruses, they penetrate the cells that line the respiratory tract. So they're certain epithelial cells. They call them epithelial cells. They're, they're basically the boundary cells that protect the body from whatever is outside, stopping right. them from getting free access to the inside. Right. So people aren't suffering from the virus itself, but it's the yeah. collateral sort of pneumonia and the restriction in the lungs that, that are causing people's problems. Yeah, but, but how that happens is because when the when these viruses penetrate the epithelial cells, what happens is then our white blood cells say, hey, this cell has been attacked. So what do they do? They attack that 
infected cell. So they, they sort of destroy that, that infected cell. But the problem with it sometimes is that either it attacks one infected cell, it creates something called an inflammatory response because it, it starts to bring in much more white blood cells. And as the white blood cells come in, they will attack some more of these cells. And then, you know, and pretty soon you can see how the cascade reaction will happen. Right. right? Mm-hmm. Anyway, so the inflammatory component is major, right? Now, another thing, too, is that when the white blood cells kill off a lot of these infected cells, the white blood cells themselves die. And when they die, they release a whole bunch of chemicals, right? And some of these chemicals actually attract more white blood cells to the area. Mm-hmm. And then there's some other things called mast cells. Mast cells also release things like histamine. So every time you have, uh, for example, allergies, seasonal allergies, right? Okay? you know, you have problems breathing sometimes, you have runny nose sometimes, yep. et cetera, right? That is really not caused by any viruses, et cetera, right? It's really a cause of the body's reaction. Right, the body's trying to expel those irritants from, irritant. from your system, right? That's right, but you have a lot of people who don't get allergies. Yeah. Right, and you have a lot of people that do get allergies, right? But we'll we'll save this topic a little bit. Uh, this is a teaser for a, little, a later date. I okay. just want to continue on a little bit with our talk on the immune system. Right? Okay. Yep. So I, I said one of the even so even though we can't really cure any COVID virus or any type of viral infection, what we can do is help delay or help stop the virus from getting a foothold. The analogy I'll use is that if I have if I, I know I'm going to be invaded, okay, and I marshal my troops, uh, let's say I have 100 enemy soldiers come in. Well, my troops are, foc- are focused. We're, we have, we're in home soil, right? I can kill off 100 viruses, 100 bacteria, 100 soldiers a lot easier, right? Now, let's say the enemy gets a foothold. Then all of a sudden, they start taking over all of my cells. So instead of 100 soldiers, all of a sudden, I'm dealing with 100,000 soldiers, right? Or a million soldiers. Yep. The number of white cells I have, will, will I have maximized. I can, I can only go so much. So it'll be like, a, I haven't boosted my, my immune system. So basically, I'm just sitting there. Everybody's still playing poker in the barracks, right? Yep. So it takes time to get everybody out. Sure. And by the time I get everybody out, all of a sudden, instead of a hundred soldiers, I'm, enemy soldiers, I'm dealing with a hundred thousand or a million. My, my soldier count is low because I haven't really started making more soldiers. So you can see how much harder the body has to fight off these infection cells. So right? what can we do? How do we stop the viruses from taking hold? So what would you recommend? One of the you boost your immune system. There are many different ways of boosting the immune system, right? Mm-hmm. There are things like taking vitamin C, zinc. Those are the common ones that everybody knows. But you also know that there's a lot of herbs that you can do. One of the ones that everybody used to use in the past but have stopped using, right, is echinacea. Echinacea has been around a long time. A lot of people have been using that. I myself prefer to use combination style type um, herbal products because A, combination herbs, different herbs stimulate the immune system differently. For example, some herbs might stimulate the increase in white blood cell formation. Some herbs will stimulate the activity of the white blood cells. Some herbs will stimulate the production of antibodies, of non-specific antibodies. So if you take a multiple of different types of herbs, you will get an overall all-round boosting of the immune system. And basically what you're trying to do is to prime the immune system, get the body in a state of readiness to fight off any um, infections that are coming in. And this is not only for COVID, it could be for influenza. You can apply the same theory and the same basic logic to any type of infection 
So bacterial infections, the whole nine yards. Okay. And there's lifestyle things that we can do too. Like here, here's what I think. I mean, I'm no, I'm not a scientist. You're the scientist that we brought on, but you know, I find that if you have a good exercise regimen, if you're getting a good night's sleep, if you're eating well, those things can also help too. Oh, for sure. I mean, we, the way I talk about immune system as if it's a standalone system, it isn't, it's part and parcel of, of the entire body. It's for, it's for example, if you have a good night's sleep, right, you refresh you because the immune system is part of your body's mechanisms, right? And it's like anything else. If your mechanisms are tired and beat up and worn down, nothing works properly. So this is why you, you have to control your things like stress levels, etc. All those things help your primary immune system even better. Right. Agreed. So I know we're going to talk more about this next month, but one thing to consider is keeping your gut health stable and, and making sure that, you know, you can deal with inflammation. Yeah, for sure. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show today. Next month, we will discuss stress and inflammation and how they correlate. Thank you so much for being on the show. We'll see you again next month, Jamie. Thanks for having me on. That was Dr. Gordon Chang. We've got to take a short break, but when we return, we'll hear about relationships during lockdown on The Tonic. And now the group travel tidbit brought to you by EF Go Ahead Tours Canada. Experience the world like a local by traveling alongside expert guides who call your destination home. Enjoy authentic meals, immersive sightseeing, and enriching cultural activities. They'll handle all the details. Here's Kate Edge with this week's reason to travel solo, but not alone. Group tours are curated. You'll not only see the famous sites with an expertly planned group tour, you'll also experience those places that you typically wouldn't get access to on your own. The more unique places that only the locals know about. This has been your group travel tidbit. For more information, visit goaheadtours.ca. Wayne Elliott here to share my great experience over the past 20 years with Strauss Heart Drops. If you've had bypass surgery, stents, have angina, diabetes, cold hands and feet, grayish blue lips or skin, I urge you to try Strauss Heart Drops and feel better again soon. Strauss Heart Drops saved my life and thousands of others without risk or harm. Go to straussnaturals.ca to order online or find a store near you. I promise you won't be sorry. I hope you give this to yourself. Thank you. This is The Tonic on Zoomer Radio. My next guest, Carlisle Jansen, is the founder of Good For Her, Toronto's premier sexuality shop and workshop centre in Toronto. And she's the producer of the Toronto International Porn Festival. She's the author of two books, including Sex Yourself. You can watch her TEDx Toronto talks and educational videos at carlislejansen.com. And if you have any questions, you can reach her at carlisle at goodforher.com. Welcome back to the show. How are you keeping? I'm doing well, thanks. And yourself? I'm doing fine. I've determined that there are two winners during our current state of affairs. Do you know who they are? First of all, it's the dogs. Right. (laughs) Because now everybody's home to give them all the attention. Yep. And the other are the divorce lawyers. Yes, the divorce lawyers. And, uh, well, my cousin is a liquidation accountant. <laughs> right, exactly. And I bet, you you're, I bet you you're busy, too, with people wondering what to do about their relationships when, when we're sort of forced to be with each other all the time, yeah? Yeah, I mean, certainly people are interested in uh, spending time on their relationships, and sex toys is one way of doing that. And then I also am doing counseling with people who sometimes already have some struggles and this just exacerbates them. Right. And I guess more than ever now, 
Uh, you know, particularly if you're living in a smaller abode, downtime uh, and space are, are kind of crucial, yeah? It's important to have time away from each other. And even people who are really introverted, or, or I mean, the people who are extroverted still need some alone time. I mean, introverts in particular need that. And so... Oh, you got that right. <laughs> <laughs> so we need to be extra understanding of our partner's needs. And so making sure that just because somebody wants to go on a walk on their own doesn't mean that they don't love you or that they don't want to spend time with you. It's that maybe they need a little bit more time on their own. And an extrovert might also, interestingly enough, want a little bit of time alone, or maybe they want to spend some time with other family members online. They want to um, connect with other people. And so being able to do that where the introvert still feels like they have time away from where, where that's going on exactly. can be really important. And there's all kinds of tools for communication now. You know, yeah. everybody's using Zoom and Skype and yeah. and reconnecting yeah. with old friends. A lot of people have come out of the woodwork and are sort of checking in, and that's a good thing. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's really great that we are taking time to connect and check in on people, right? I've had people call me out of the blue, um, which is really lovely, and just sort of saying like, hey, how are you doing? So that's really great. And, you know, we need to do that with all the people that we care about and in our lives. Right. And I, and I think we need to focus on that, you know, that one sexual relationship that we have too, and make sure that everything's okay. And that, you know, communication I know is, a, is, is the key word for you, but making sure that that communication is there with, with your partner. Yeah. And it, sometimes what happens is that it feels like you are already doing that because you're around each other all the time. But we need to create some separation and some togetherness. So trying to find times where you have that privacy in the house, even if it's like, you know, having a different desk away from each other, a different, you know, this is my side of the couch. This is my place where I want to do my thing. This is where I like to eat, whatever it happens to be. And at the same time, having time together so that it's not just we're together all the time, we're sick of each other, but sometimes having a little ritual like light a candle, uh, Esther Perel, who's a sex and relationship therapist, she talked about how it was her anniversary, and they made dinner, they walked out of the house, <laughs> yeah. um, and then they came back in as though they were starting this special time together. Okay, now we're going to have our intimate time together, we're going to have dinner and connect on a different level rather than talking about the virus, talking about work, talking about kids, talking about all that other stuff together. Yeah. You know, there's still time to plan. You know, you can still think about taking a trip. You can still think about what's going to happen in the future. I think it's easier for me, for my peace of mind, I need to think about in a positive way what's coming up, not worrying about what's happening, but sort of like planning together what we might do. Because at the end of the day, yeah, things are going to change, but what the circumstances we're in now are temporary. Yeah, and, you know, who knows what the new normal is going to be like. But certainly um, it's important for us to have dreams, to have goals, to reminisce, to think about, oh, I want to do that thing again because we haven't done it in a long time. So that planning is, is really important. I had a conversation with Naomi where I said to her, you know, we spend a lot of time together already. I mean, there's a lot of overlap in what we right. do. Yeah. But I said to her, you know, I think it's really important that if there's an issue, because we're spending more time together, let's deal with it before it becomes an issue. In other words, if something's bugging you, tell me about it when you're not upset about it, and then we can deal with it. But if we let it fester, or if we, if, if it comes to a fight, then I think we're, we have a real problem because there's nowhere to go. 
right? Right, yeah. And so if tension is high, it's like it's thick in the air, right? You can really, really feel it. And some people are good at communicating and good at bringing up little things, and other people aren't. And then what happens is they just ignore it, and then, you know, they go to work or they go do something else, and it kind of goes away. But you don't have that same opportunity to kind of slough it off. And so it is really important to, it doesn't matter how small it is. And you can even say, like, you know, I think this sounds really stupid, or I know it feels really petty, but I'd really love it if you, you know, wash the knife after you use the peanut butter before you're putting it it in the jam or whatever, you know? you know, mine is, she's not allowed to arch her eyebrow if I reach for a second cookie, right? (laughs) I said, said, pick your moments, right? Right, Uh, uh, yeah. Because it's important. Um, Yeah, absolutely. And some people are good at bringing those up, but sometimes what you need to do, like you kind of did that, right? A little check-in and say, like, look, tell me what's bugging you. And maybe it's once a day, maybe it's once every three days, once a week, because one of you might be really good at bringing things up and the other person might not. And sometimes we feel like we need permission to say, okay, this little thing is bugging me because I don't want to interrupt when you're working. I don't want to interrupt during dinner when's the right time yeah. to talk about it? So say like, you know, Friday at 9 a.m., <laughs> yeah. you know, Saturday at noon. We're going to air all the grievances. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. And, and like Festivus. If you can plan it ahead of time also, yeah. you can take responsibility for your piece in it. I realize I haven't done this. I realize I haven't spoken up about this. I realize that, you know, this has been bugging me for a while. I should have brought it up sooner. So that you can talk about it in a calm voice rather than when you're so upset, exactly. you end up yelling at the other person, which it's really hard for them to hear your request when you're yelling. True. Equally important is the physical connection side of the relationship. And I think I, I fear that some people out there may just be shunting that aside because they're so stressed out and dealing with all the change and, and restrictions. Well, certainly we all have different reactions to stress, especially if we have anxiety and depression. For lots of us, we end up wanting to be less intimate. Some people want to be more intimate. So, you know, it's one of those things where we need to also respect and honor where our partner is at while still respecting and honoring where we are at. And, you know, certainly social distancing means that, you know, you should be limiting your intimacy ideally to people that you live with. And, you know, if you're worried about transmitting it to each other, the reality, though, is if you're spending time together, if you're breathing on each other, (laughs) sleeping together, sharing meals together, right? Like if you're in, if you're spending time within six feet of each other, then you're likely going to pass something to each other, well, the coronavirus to each other anyways. So really not much concern about having sex unless you are, say, one of you is working in the healthcare field or one of you has been in contact with someone who's developed the virus and the symptoms. Then you need to actually distance yourselves and plan for, okay, let's keep a distance for 14 days until we know that we're in the clear together. Do you have a plan set out with your partner? Yeah, so we have a basement, fortunately, and we have an extra bathroom. So we've got sort of a a plan around how we're going to deal with that. Now, if, you know, we have two kids, so (laughs) one kid and one adult is sick, or if two adults are sick, right, then what do we do? But we're we're starting with if one of us gets sick, we've got sort of a plan for whoever's sick um, has a place to go. But not everybody has that luxury, right? Yeah. You know, or not everybody can afford a hotel. And certainly I'm not going to send my kid who's... 14 to a hotel. 
well on his own. So it's, you know, getting really strategic about how are you going to manage this if you have one bathroom, if you have limited spaces in the house, right? And just thinking ahead of time about how you're going to navigate that, especially if you're limited on space. And hopefully you won't have to deal with it, right? Let's really, really hope that, you know, we, you won't have to deal with that. For sure. So you, you talked about, you know, the sexual relationship amongst people who are already together, and, mm-hmm. you know, and, but, you know, there's a lot of people that are separate, right? Yes. So, again, you know, social distancing says you should really stick to people that you live with, and it's really hard to have sex at six feet apart from each other. Yep. <laughs> now, it's- you could meet up and stay at different parts of the room, wash your hands, and pleasure yourselves, right? That's one option. It's still less risky than being in contact with each other. Right. But, you know, if you are going to be in contact with each other, you know, harm reduction says, you know, wash your body top to bottom before you start. Stay away from, I think in the article I mentioned that they haven't found coronavirus in feces, but they recently have. Mm. So you want to stay away from anal pleasure and you want to use condoms, that kind of thing. But, you know, if you're going to stay apart, which is what's recommended, you can make online dates with each other. I was going to say sexting may, may become hot again, right? <laughs> That's for sure. So sexting. But you can also, you know, I always recommend dress up a little for each other Mm -hmm. because we often take each other for granted, even if you live together, right? If you're in sweatpants or pajamas all day, dress up for each other when you have a meal together. Unless you're turned on by pajamas, and I'm sure there's a cohort. That's true. That's for sure. (laughs) (laughs) But you can have dates where you cook together, you order food from the same place together, you do an online board game together, try and still find fun, sexy things to do. So sexy things and non-sexy things to maintain your relationship. Fantastic. Thank you so much for coming on the show today. It's always a pleasure. You're going to come back next month to discuss more about sex and relationships, yes? I will be there. Fantastic. That was Carlisle Jansen. We've got to take a short break, but when we return, we'll hear how food can help you deal with your stress on The Tonic. Alamax Canada is the company that delivers real, bioactive, stabilized allicin. Using only the freshest garlic from Spain, Alamax is the trusted source for a high-quality and effective allicin supplement. The manufacturers of Alamax have dedicated their time to researching this fascinating plant and all of its antimicrobial and antibacterial benefits. To fight infection and stay well, take Alamax. For more information, visit Alamax.ca. The Big Carrot is a worker-owned natural food market that's been committed to local, organic, non-GMO, and sustainable food systems since 1983. They're a one-stop shop offering produce, grocery, bulk, body care, and holistic dispensary. The juice and smoothie bars and kitchens serve up hundreds of healthy dishes and drinks daily. Building community is at the core of their vision, which they deliver through education, outreach, and giving. They want everyone to share in the goodness they offer. Visit their website for more information at thebigcarrot.ca. You're listening to The Tonic on Sumer Radio. Megan Horsley is a registered holistic nutritionist, blog writer, and recipe developer. She's passionate about helping her clients discover their best selves with a holistic approach to their well-being with delicious food, movement, and thoughts. Megan loves witnessing the transformations that unfold. She's also a knowledgeable and entertaining writer and a regular contributor to Tonic Magazine. Welcome back to the show. How are you? Hi, Jamie. Thanks so much for having me. I'm, you know what? I'm doing well. How are you doing? I'm doing well too. But, you know, sometimes when I'm not doing well, if I'm feeling stressed out, 
I'm what you call an emotional eater. Um, oh, yes. <laughs> so my relationship with food is a complicated one. Uh, it's a love-hate relationship, and I think a lot of people feel that way. But we're going to talk about how food can help you deal with stress today, yeah? Yes, absolutely. We will be touching on that. You know, I think right now a lot of people are relating to this perspective, and it feels like we're experiencing a loss of power and control in our lives, and that's where the emotional eating can definitely come into play. You know, our, our lifestyles we created for ourselves are are not possible right now. And so I think this thought in and of itself can be extremely stress-reducing. Yeah. Um, you know, our lives have changed quite a bit over the past few weeks. Um, and so figuring out a new normal in isolation can be very challenging and extremely stressful. So I think it's important to try to find ways that are helpful for you, resources for you that will help you deal with this stress. You know, one of the most important considerations when we're thinking about stress right now is our gut health, you know, and supporting the gut as best you can with supportive fermented foods. Probiotics, of course, as a supplement are great, but really just focusing on fermented foods can be a great way to support your gut. So when you say fermented foods, we're not talking about alcohol. We're talking about foods. <laughs> I mean, maybe I'm we are talking, talking about, about alcohol. You know? Yeah, I mean... <laughs> not necessarily talking about fermented potatoes no <laughs> okay so so we're not talking about getting pickled per se but no no so so what are we talking about so we're talking about the gut bacteria and we're talking about things like sauerkraut that will support gut bacteria you know things like fermented potatoes you know, vodka and alcohol are not necessarily supportive of the gut so when we're thinking about the gut if your gut is operating at suboptimal levels, then your digestive system, your immune system, and your central nervous system will be affected, right? So this is what we call a gut-brain axis. And this is basically the connection between our gut bacteria and our brains. So if our gut bacteria can communicate to our brains, and this is through what's called the vagus nerve. So we have a nerve that connects the central nervous system to the gut. And studies have shown that when you support your gut bacteria, you can actually have a positive impact on your mood and your outlook. Mm -hmm. So one of the best ways is to actually increase your probiotic and prebiotic rich foods, right? And we know that the gut bacteria is responsible for manufacturing B vitamins. Um, and this actually includes B6, which again has been shown to modulate the neurotransmitters involved in the stress response. They also can competitively inhibit the bad bacteria in our guts, right? So this is especially important right now when we're thinking about keeping our immune systems functioning at mm -hmm. their best. Yep. You know, to put this all into perspective, you can easily create your own fermented foods at home. And this is, you know, arguably one of the best times to do it because you have the time to figure it out. And it's a great way to get creative. And by the end of it, you have your own functional food that's having a positive impact on your immune system, your digestion, and your mental health, right? It sounds amazing. It does. So, <laughs> so, so what types of foods are we talking about? So I would say one of the easiest fermented foods that you can start creating is sauerkraut. So sauerkraut is an example of lacto-fermentation. And this basically means that lactobacillus, which is a type of bacteria, on the food, so on cabbage, for example, converts the sugar on the cabbage into lactic acid and lactic acid is a natural preservative so all you need to make sauerkraut really is salt and cabbage right 
that's it. It's super simple. And it's a you know, process of massaging to, to pull the water out of the cabbage. And this creates a really nice brine for your sauerkraut. And I'm sure um, there, and there's lots of recipes online or procedurals on tons, how to do it. Oh, tons of recipes. You can start with cabbage, but you can also move to other kinds of vegetables as well. Now, my favorite type of fermentation comes in the form of sourdough bread. Mm-hmm. You too? Yep. Naomi just made a sourdough bread yesterday. We have a culture that sits in our, it's like a mother. I, I think that's what they call it. And it yes, it's, sourdough starter, yeah. Yeah, it sits in our fridge and she makes pancakes and bread and all kinds of delicious stuff with it. Oh my gosh, that's amazing. Yeah, I just spent a week caring for my new sourdough starter. <laughs> <laughs> what did you name so it? I, actually haven't named it yet so if you have if you have a good idea for a name let me know um, but I actually made my first two loaves this morning mm-hmm. so it's so exciting it was really exciting and, and fun to start that process you know bread is one of the most basic forms of sustenance right yep. and I read an, an article earlier this week that talked about how everyone and their cousins are turning to bread making during this time yeah I totally get it um, well everybody sour- has the time that's for sure everybody has the time yeah and it, you know, sourdough can be simple to make if you have the patience to really figure it out. Yep. You know, it, you know, it just takes about a week of, of fermenting your sourdough starter, and and by the end of it, when you do make your bread, you have this beautiful, airy, beautiful loaf of bread. Yep. And you know, going back to gut health here, the fermentation of the bread also makes it easier to digest, and you can you can get a dose of probiotics from this as well. Um, now, let's say. <laughs> While you're listening to this and you're thinking, oh, well, I'm, you know, I'm celiac, I can't have sourdough, you can make a gluten-free sourdough. There are, again, tons of recipes online that, you know, if you are celiac or gluten-free, you can definitely make your own sourdough. Yep. Or, you know, you, if you don't, you don't have to have bread, you could make yogurt, for example, or kefir. We have an instant pot and, you know, the yogurt, it's a process. It takes about eight or nine hours. But, you know, if you have time, great. Uh, you can use organic milk. There's no preservatives. And if you strain it, you can make labna or Greek uh, yogurt out of it, more intense and super delicious. And yeah, de- absolutely. Definitely good for you. Yeah, definitely, definitely good for you. Now, I think another consideration we, we should have here when we're talking about gut health is related to foods that don't support the gut. Right. Um, now, there are two substances in particular that I'm thinking about. Can you take a guess <laughs> what I might start talking well, about? You mentioned I, one earlier. I know. So let's go with these. Let's go with the low-hanging fruit, alcohol. <laughs> yes. So alcohol and sugar are obviously two substances that I'm sure a lot of us have been leading towards these days. Even if you are in the health and wellness world, you know, it's, it's the two substances that can help us relieve stress, or at least we think that they are, but it's temporary. Um, You know, alcohol can increase your gut inflammation, right? And it reduces liver function. And it's it's a depressant. And it is a depressant, yeah. And it can wreak havoc on your gut microbiome. You know, in our last episode, we chatted about how alcohol gives you this effect of GABA, right? You feel calmer, right? It, It helps relax the nervous system. But ultimately, this isn't what we should be turning to um, if we want to support the body and support the natural come down from a stress response. So again, supporting the gut bacteria is really important. As for sugar, you know, it can actually deplete your immune system for a few hours after having it. So I'm not suggesting you completely cut out both of these foods, but I would say it is important, especially during this time, to be mindful of your consumption. So yeah. if it if it works for you, limiting your indulgences to the weekend can be something you can consider, you know, yep. but ultimately not relying on these substances to get you through this time. 
That is good advice. Now, lots of people have lots of spare time, and I'm going to throw something out there. It helps with connection of food, and it's way it's a different way that food can help you deal with stress, and that is growing your own food. Yes, yes, great idea. Yeah, not everybody has a green thumb, but there are certain plants out there that are pretty easy to cultivate in our climate with our soil in Toronto, mm-hmm. uh, which you can use culinarily. Uh, one of them is chives, uh, which yes. grow like crazy. And another one is mint, which can actually take over your garden if you're not careful. Oh, yes. That's actually happened to me. Mint grows like crazy. Yeah. Yes. So, you know, you can make mint tea. You can use the chives in replace of, of onions for flavoring. A lot of spring foods go very well with chives. And another one that, you know, once you plant it keeps giving is rhubarb. You know, it takes a lot of space. So, you know, you kind of have to carve out space for it. But all those three can survive in the garden, even if you don't know what you're doing. Yeah, they are foolproof for sure. (laughs) (laughs) Trust me on that. What ideas do you have? So I currently don't have a big, beautiful backyard. I used to. And when I did, I I grew a bunch of pumpkins and that was a lot of fun. But I've I've had to switch (laughs) to smaller containers. So even simply having, um, you know, a window garden, if that includes growing your own herbs, just sitting them on the windowsill is enough sunlight and you can definitely grow some things that way you can also buy a small greenhouse for your home for example there's a really cute one that i found at ikea it's all glass and you can start your sprouting that way if you if you wanted to grow some vegetables another option would be sprouting in itself so sprouting seeds and legumes and yeah this is super simple it involves soaking and rinsing of seeds and legumes and really that's it Yeah. And, you know, these aren't necessarily cost efficient. You know, a lot of these things that we're talking about are relatively cheap in the store, but there is a satisfaction in growing your own foods and cooking with your own foods. I agree with you. I I definitely agree with you. Um, I think taking this time to really reflect on where food comes from and how we've been getting our foods from our regular routines, you know, um, we've had to switch gears pretty quickly. And I think there, there can be a lot of comfort in growing your own food and creating your own food. If that means making sourdough or fermented foods, it can be a very comforting process. Before we go, I know you've sort of shifted gears and you're doing some stuff online. Where can people reach out to you to find out fitness and nutrition advice? Absolutely, yes. You can send me an email, megan at meganhorsley.com. I'm running live workouts twice a week on Instagram, so definitely check that out, megan underscore rhn. Fantastic. Thank you so much for coming on the show today. You'll be back next month to discuss more holistic nutrition, yes? Yes, I will. Thank you so much, Jamie. That was Megan Horsley. We've got to take a short break, but when we return, we'll find out about dental care during COVID-19 on The Tonic. The Tonic is brought to you by Purely Natural. Their Liquid Greens Chlorophyll is the only line of soluble, grit-free, and great-tasting greens on the market. Liquid Greens can easily be mixed with your favorite drink to provide a sustained, natural boost of energy to help you get through your day. There's unflavored, which is great with orange juice. The mint flavor is cool and refreshing. Dark chocolate has all the health benefits of a salad, but with a great chocolate taste. And for that extra detox boost, try activated charcoal and mint. Enjoy the energy, enjoy the detox, enjoy the great taste. Purely natural, liquid greens. Keeping your immune system strong and stable is important to staying healthy. New Roots Herbal offers vital antioxidants and immune-boosting supplements to keep you at your best. Discover Resilience Mushroom Blend, powerful green tea extracts, and their best-selling vitamin C8 formula. 
Find these and other New Roots Herbal products exclusively at quality health food stores. And for more information, visit NewRootsHerbal.com. To ensure these products are right for you, always read and follow the label. Hi, this is Jamie Busson. I'm not only the host of The Tonic Talk Show, I'm also the publisher of Tonic Magazine. Tonic is a health and wellness magazine distributed with the Globe and Mail to home subscribers in the most affluent neighborhoods in Toronto. It's also available free on racks at over 150 locations across the GTA. For more information about Tonic Magazine, visit tonictoronto.com. Hey, if you like the Tonic Talk Show, you'll love Tonic Magazine, and vice versa. This is The Tonic on Zoomer Radio. Dr. Steve Columbi is a 1990 graduate of the University of Toronto's Faculty of Dentistry. He's spent the last, oh, it's got to be more than 20 years performing all aspects of general dentistry in the community in which he grew up. Since that time, his patients have come to appreciate his honesty, integrity, and ability to treat each patient with the utmost care and concern. Welcome to the show, sir. How are you? I'm great, Jamie. Thank you very much for having me. So there's a lot of people that are stuck at home and maybe they had appointments to go get their teeth cleaned or maybe they've got a toothache or maybe they've got something going on that requires the care of a dentist. But we live in interesting times, right? For sure. Absolutely. So what should people do if they find themselves in need of a dentist? What's the first step? Well, I would start off by saying the definition of a dental emergency has definitely changed in the last few weeks. Typically, any discomfort associated with the mouth that lasts longer than a day would result in a patient calling my office for an appointment. A month ago, I would have considered a broken front tooth an emergency and moved around my whole day to accommodate this patient. But today, I would advise that same patient to stay home, not attempt to have it fixed. It really shouldn't be much of an aesthetic concern, given that we should all just be staying home anyways. Right. So I guess I would say the first thing would be, you know, it never hurts to call the office and just kind of get a sense of, uh, of where to go, given what the issue is. So your offices aren't open right now, right? The offices aren't open. We've given a, been given a strong recommendation by our governing body to close our offices for all non-essential services. But at the same time, we as dentists have a legal and ethical responsibility to look after our patients and help guide them if they were to have any issues. So are there offices that are open? Do you know of any? I do. Uh, a really good resource for the listeners is the uh, college, uh, Royal College of Dental Surgeons website, rcdso.org. And I looked today, and as of today, there were about 100 dental offices that were open uh, that are safely able to see patients. These offices are required to have fit-tested N95 masks, face shields, gowns, and at least one operatory that has floor-to-ceiling walls with a door, which would allow for containment during any aerosol-generated procedures. Pretty much every dental procedure is an aerosol. Exactly. So that's necessary. All right. Now, so we've identified that it's possible to get to see a dentist and really... If you have a dentist, you should be calling them to find out, you know, where you're being, whether they are open and, and where you might be referenced. And if you don't have a dentist, we're going to post that web page that you just mentioned on the Perfect. website so that people can reference it uh, after the show if they have any concerns. In your opinion, what are the types of things that people should go see a dentist for now during COVID? During COVID, I would say that they would have to really have a very bad toothache that they really have to ask themselves if it's worth the exposure, putting themselves, other people at risk to go out 
and to have something looked at. So, you know, if someone were to have a broken front tooth, if someone were to have a chip, if someone were to break a cusp off a tooth and it's a little bit sharp, if someone were to have a little bit of sensitivity, if their jaw is a little bit sore, I would not recommend they go see a dentist. Only if they can't sleep at night, and I would say that's one of the first questions I would ask somebody, and if they're really in a, a lot of pain. Because to be honest with you, Jamie, most dentists are just going to be removing teeth at this point. So you really have to ask yourself, is it that bad that I need this tooth out? Okay. And and what about if there's an infection? I recall some years ago, I had a, an infection in my throat and I went to, I had a dentist appointment and I went there and they noticed it and uh, I was able to get some antibiotics right away. Or is that sort of thing happening? Like if you have a throat issue, I, I guess maybe you should be seeing a doctor as opposed to a you dentist. You should, you should, but I, you know, I definitely understand how it's kind of all in the same area, but I mean, that's something, and maybe we'll get into this a little bit, that's something that a dentist can really help you with over the phone. So let's talk about that. I understand we had a conversation before the show. There's such a thing as teledentistry right now. There is, yeah. I think it's a new thing that we've kind of come up with. But, you know, we've all been practicing in some way, shape, or form a bit of teledentistry over the years. And to be honest with you, it's extremely effective. Okay, so how are you set up for this, and and what would a patient need in order to do this? Well, quite simply, I leave my phone number on our answering machine because it's just much easier for them to call me directly. And even in my practice when I'm seeing patients, a lot of the information that I get that helps me diagnose a problem is coming from the patient. We have to listen really carefully. The words they use, you know, are they using the word ache or are they using the word throb or are they using the word sensitivity? The questions I can ask, you know, does the pain keep you up at night? Is it spontaneous? Or is it only when you eat? Does it linger on? Or is it a two-second thing when you drink something cold? We can really diagnose and help a lot of patients just by asking the right questions and listening carefully to their responses. So it's not a video conference necessarily? Absolutely not. No. I, you know, the odd person will send me a picture, and I've helped a few people out that way. But there's really no need. I think a lot of it can be done verbally. Okay, so in those circumstances, let's say somebody came to you with something serious. So I guess you're doing a bit of triage there, right, to determine whether or not exactly. further steps need to be taken, right? Exactly. I mean, it, it is a little bit easier these days because, you know, the, the bar is set so high in terms of what is worth, you know, going to see a dentist for that is open during these times. Okay, so let, let's say, for example, I were to call you okay. and I'm experiencing pain. What is it that you can do for me? Uh, over the phone? Like, are you, can you prescribe? Like, Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, we definitely have the ability to prescribe some analgesics, painkillers, and some antibiotics. A lot of time, Jamie, I'm going to be honest with you, it, it is managing anxiety and just kind of talking to patients and making them understand that just because you have a little discomfort, it doesn't mean that you need dental intervention. I mean, I always tell patients that just because you, your knee is twinging or you have a bit of a sore shoulder doesn't need to, you don't need to run and have a knee surgery or go see a, you know, a doctor. And the same thing holds true for your teeth. It's quite normal that we feel something in our mouths or we bite down and something hurts a little bit. But it doesn't necessarily mean that you need to have intervention. And the other interesting thing is we can really sometimes make a difference just by helping patients understand how to take that medication properly. I have a lot of patients that take too much medicine, not patients that don't take enough medicine. So how to take it properly uh, is a big part of it as well. So what sort of medicine are you talking about in that instance? What do you mean? So let's say, you know, typically I'll, I'll tell patients to take Advil 
because it is an anti-inflammatory, where most people just know Tylenol, which is a painkiller, but doesn't really help with inflammation. So, for instance, if you had a jaw pain or a TMJ problem, as we call it, you know, Tylenol is helpful, but if you can take Advil, it's going to be much more beneficial because it is an anti-inflammatory. And a lot of patients, grown adults, will take one tablet, which is 200 milligrams, which really isn't going to do much. And, you know, taking 400 or 600 milligrams is going to make a big difference. Okay. But I presume there are some things that you're probably seeing that are a little more serious than Advil or Tylenol type problems. Are you able to prescribe medications? I mean, we are. Again, we're a little bit limited with the rules and regulations in terms of prescribing controlled medications, opioids and stuff over the phone. But I would say the bigger issue isn't so much pain control with patients. It's, I would say, antibiotics is the big one. Yeah. Because really, you know, if you can get an antibiotic into someone that has a serious dental problem, within 24 to 48 hours, the antibiotics are going to kick in. And really, you're just managing that pain for 24 or 48 hours, which typically isn't too difficult to do, given what's available on the market and over the counter. So based on what you've been told by your governing body, are you, not you specifically, but are dentists able to prescribe antibiotics over the phone now? Always have been. Okay. Yeah. Okay. That's good to know. Steve, uh, you mentioned a moment ago about, you know, for the most part, you're dealing with, with patients' anxiety. So what, what sort of things are you hearing and, and how are you helping people deal with that? Maybe you can sort of give some blanket advice that might be helpful for somebody who's anxious about pain they're suffering in their mouth. So... I would say for the, for the most part, people, there's only been a month out, and we're hoping that this won't last much more than a month. So I think many people have gone uh, overdue for their dental visits for a month or two. So really, for people that are seeing their dentist every day, uh, I'm sorry, every six months, it shouldn't really make a big difference to have a bit of a delay for your next appointment. For those people who are anxious when they're feeling something, you have to remember that these dental issues don't typically happen overnight. Most dental issues are picked up by your dentist, by your hygienist, if you're seeing them regularly, fairly regularly. And I always tell patients, for instance, that you don't get a cavity overnight. Things tend to happen pretty slowly in dentistry. And people always think they have a problem because they have a cavity. But that kind of stuff is typically going to be picked up. So I would suggest or just say to, to patients that most of the time, the great majority of emergencies that I see on a daily basis are just me telling the patient, you know what, everything's going to be okay. It's probably going to go away. And in fact, very, very few of the patients that I see on a daily basis for emergencies require any intervention at all. Well, that's good to know. But you you have, uh, you were telling me a story. You, You did help somebody with a unique problem, right? Yeah. So, you know, again, the odd time people do send me pictures and this one particular patient, uh, you know, you wouldn't consider it a classical dental emergency because he wasn't in a lot of pain, didn't have swelling, but he had an orthodontic wire that was bonded into his mouth that had come loose and he couldn't eat and it was sticking into his tongue and, and it was terrible. So he took a picture, sent it to me, and I could just tell from the picture that if he just bent it two or three times, it would just come off. And sure enough, he was able to do that, and it worked out great. Fantastic. And this interview has worked out great. Thank you so much for coming on the show today. It's my pleasure, James. Thanks to all my wonderful guests, Dr. Gordon Chang, Carlisle Jansen, Megan Horsley, and Dr. Steve Columbi. And thank you all for listening to The Tonic. You can listen or download this episode as a podcast with full show notes, contact information for our guests, and links at thetonic.ca. To find out more about the show, you can follow us on The Tonic Talk Show on Instagram or Facebook. For great articles by amazing health and wellness writers, be sure to pick up your copy of Tonic Magazine. 
Tonic's available free on racks at over 200 locations across the GTA and delivered with the Globe and Mail to home subscribers in 11 choice neighborhoods in Toronto. Or you can visit our website, which is brand spanking new at tonictoronto.com. If you're interested in providing feedback or suggesting topics for the show, you can email me at jamie at tonictoronto.com. Next week on the show, we'll discuss more about immunity and bringing food safely into your home. Until then, this is Jamie Busson wishing you a healthy and happy week. Please consult a healthcare professional before starting any diet, exercise, supplementation, or medication program. This has been a paid announcement. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.